Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. First question is, should Democrats go to the inauguration at all? More and more of them are saying they will not, following the lead of Congressman John Lewis of Georgia. So far, 22 Democrats have said they will not attend. Peter, we ought to uh, get up the list, I should have asked earlier, of all the uh, Democrats and give them some credit. I know Maxine Waters is on that list, uh, Mark Takano from California, Rahul Grijalva from uh, Arizona. I won't try to, to remember all of them. Um, but but those 22 have said, nope, they've got more important things to do. Uh, they are not going to give Donald Trump the credit of sitting there and watching him sworn into office as if their presence might indicate that they support him and his policies. So they're staying home. My question to you, tell us on Twitter, at BP Show. Do you think they're doing the right thing? Absolutely, yes. Should they go to this inauguration? I would say hell no. And I'm not going either. In fact, uh, we were uh, invited, as we are uh, every inauguration, to be up there with the media in the stands. Uh, and we declined. We declined for a very good reason. Pass. Again, pass. <laughs> no right. thanks. No. We wanted nothing to do with Donald Trump's inauguration, the man who is totally unqualified to be president of the United States, uh, totally unfit to be president of the United States, who um, is against everything that we believe in, who wants to undo everything we have accomplished, uh, who will be a monumental embarrassment uh, to this nation uh, around the world. Why should we... <laughs> Why should we be any part of seeing him sworn into office? Uh, uh, it's it's going to be a train wreck, uh, his entire administration. And in my judgment, to attend is to pretend that you accept him uh, as, well, no, I don't want to go too far. I mean, he will be the president. But to attend is to pretend that he deserves to be president of the United States. To attend is to add legitimacy to his presidency. So I believe the best thing to do is what so many of these Democrats have done, is not to be a hypocrite, stand up for what you believe, and stay home or go out and do uh, a public service, uh, some public service work at a homeless shelter or something. Do anything but attend Donald Trump's administration. Uh, do we have a... Uh... Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a long list. There's a couple names of people yeah. that you will recognize who have done the show, or friends of the show. Maxine uh, Waters, yes. Earl Blumenauer, yep. Jared Huffman, Luis Gutierrez. Jared Huffman, who's my congressman. Your congressman, California. that's right. Uh, Luis Gutierrez from Illinois. Uh, right. Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee. John Conyers won't be there. 
Ted Lou, who we just had on the show not that long ago. Yep, yep. Mark Ticano, you mentioned. Um, Mark Pocan, who was just here last week. He's not he was going. just here Thursday. And yeah. he said he, he was planning on going, but then the, the, the most recent Russia uh, information was enough for him to actually question whether or not he is a legitimate president. And, of course, John Lewis um, is not going to go. Right. <laughs> Famously not going to go. Right, right. Yeah, we're going to get to that in just, uh, in just a minute here. So uh, first question, attend the inauguration, yes or no? Absolutely not. Second question, what do we do instead? I got to tell you, I'm excited because we're seeing Democrats, we're seeing progressives really stand up and start what I think has got to be our MO for the next four years, which is a protest a day. Just keep, remember, I've said this before, what are we going to do? Fight back. I told you about my little grandson asking, Granddad, how are we going to survive Donald Trump? Fight back is what I told him every day, and it's already started. Uh, the protest movements are growing nationwide. Last Saturday, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton and the National Action Network led a big rally here in uh, near the Martin Luther King Memorial uh, for Martin Luther King weekend, um, protesting, again, the uh, policies of Donald Trump and calling on Democrats in Congress to get some backbone. In fact, uh, here is uh, the Reverend Al down there on, uh, on, I did his show on MSNBC yesterday morning, Politics Nation, uh, and here he is on Saturday exhorting the Democrats to stand up and fight back. We come to say to the Democrats in the Senate and in the House and into the moderate Republicans to get some backbone, get some guts. Yeah, get some guts, says the Reverend Al Sharpton. That was Saturday. Uh, next, uh, on, on Sunday, rather, just yesterday, Democrats uh, rallied nationwide, led by Bernie Sanders, who's a new outreach uh, chair of the, uh, of the uh, Democrats in the Senate, uh, in some 40 different cities nationwide, 40 rallies in 40 different cities nationwide to protect Obamacare and to save Obamacare out in the chant. Here's the chant out in Warren, save Michigan. Save our health care. Save our health care. Save our health care. Save our health care. Some 8,000 people there for Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer and uh, Congress and Senator Debbie Stabenow in Warren, Warren, Michigan. Again, one of 40 rallies uh, held, held yesterday around the country. This Thursday... At the Trump International Hotel, not a Trump Tower, Trump International Hotel in New York, Mayor de Blasio is going to lead a great big protest in front of the hotel. And next Saturday is the big Women's March on Washington. Uh, I told you we've got 10 people camping out at our house uh, who've come from California for this big march. We're going to, Carol and I will be there as well. And to give you some sign of what is going on with that march, uh, the Washington Post reports, uh, so there are various places around the city where tour buses come in and they can park. One of the big places is RFK Stadium. Not the only one, but that's, that's the number one spot. So far, and here's Donald Trump, remember, who says his inauguration is so popular that you cannot buy a gown in Washington, D.C. anymore because all the gowns are sold out, which... The head of every store chain has said, that's not true. That's not true. They're full of gowns. They've got tons of gowns left <laughs> everywhere, you know, whether it's Nordstrom's or Macy's or whatever. 
I walk through Macy's on my way to the Metro almost every day. They got gowns on the first floor. They got <laughs> models around all over with gowns, right? So that's not true. And then he says there's going to be a bigger, the biggest crowd ever in history at his inauguration. Well, put this in context. The Washington, D.C. police report that for the inauguration, they have reservations to park 393 buses. It's a lot of buses. A lot of buses. For the march on the Women's March in Washington, the next day, they have reservations to park 1,200 buses. Wow. Four times as many, three times as many, actually, coming buses. That's for, remarkable. For the inauguration. And there's a story in the New York Times this morning about a new app called Skedaddle. Skedaddle, which is just to hook people up with buses that are going where they want to go. Oh, interesting. These guys just started this app, <laughs> and the app has, like, busted with so many people using this no new kidding. app, Skedaddle. That's really cool. Washington for isn't, that, isn't that cool? So I'd say that is a good start, a good sign that people are, uh, are now – Ready to? They've yeah. We've mourned long enough, right? Now it's a fight back and the protests start, and just a wave of protests and keep them going every day. Uh, you hear us often talk about the fact that we are sponsored by Amalgamated Bank, amalgamatedbank.com. Uh, and uh, Keith Mestrich is the CEO and the president of Malcolm Bank, good friend who joins us in studio on a Martin Luther King Day. So, Keith, I want to ask you, when you – here we are, uh, transition into a new administration. Um, what Donald Trump inherits from Barack Obama in terms of the economy, a little different from what Barack Obama inherited from George W. Bush? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say a little. Um, let's go back to 2009, and that and that January morning, um, we had just come off almost the near collapse of the international economic system. Um, the country had been through crisis. GM and 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 Chrysler were on the verge of failure. Um, the uh, the the country had had to uh, bail out all the the big banks. Unemployment was a uh, double digit. Nobody knew what was going to happen. We were almost in a in in, in a free fall. Um, you know, Bush and his administration had stabilized things, but there was no plan for what we were going to do going forward. And President Obama inherited a, a, a near crisis. And, and actually, it's taken a while, but has handled it masterfully, right? We didn't fall into collapse. We didn't go into another depression. In fact, just the opposite. We've had eight years of uh, growing employment over that time. Not as fast as people want it, but growing employment over mm-hmm. time. Um, our economy is as is the strongest economy in the in the world right now. Um, there is no other place for people to invest in this country or in this in in, in this in this world. Everybody looks to America. Employment's under uh, unemployment's under five percent. Uh, we have uh, we have we have growth. Consumer confidence is at an all time high. Wages are starting to increase. Um, and Donald Trump kind of comes in without. He says there's all these problems. He says America is uh, on yeah, on I, the verge of collapse, and it's just garbage. It, it's not. Uh, the American economy is very very strong. Um, and there's ways to keep it going and building stronger, and, and, and maybe we'll do that. Um, but uh, Donald Trump inherits a beautiful situation in which to take over the presidency of the United States, and he's going to take all the credit for all the things that Barack Obama has set up and, and has put us in the position to do. Um, so uh, I was remem- trying to remember the name of the, that we gave it, but President Obama, George Bush, in bailing out Wall Street, right, there was that program. TARP. TARP. The TARP program. Yeah, so right. 
Bush had done half of TARP, and President Obama had to do the. Yeah. Was he right to do the second half of TARP? I think so. I mean, uh, you, people can quibble with what's happened to the banks um, in this country. They, they they probably are too big. Um, I think that they're too big. I think that they need to be broken up. But but Obama had to deal with the situation he was dealt with. And if he had let the banks collapse at that time, it, it would have really been a tragedy in, in this in this country. And if he had let GM and Chrysler collapse, that would have been a, a, right. a, a real crisis. And we had insurance companies, and who knows what would have happened uh, other than, other than so that. So the next thing was bailing out the auto industry, which, as we recall, was a, but, but he didn't get any Republican support for that. Is that I don't right? think there was a single I don't Republican so. vote for yeah. the bailout of the auto industry. I, I, in fact, Mitt, Ro- in fact right. Mitt Romney was notoriously wrote in that op-ed that we should just let it die. Yeah. We should yeah. just let them <laughs> right. die. Right, right. right. Which yeah. has turned out to be a huge success for selling more cars than ever before yeah. and, and, and making and, better cars. And isn't it irony that now mm-hmm. uh, um, the state of Michigan voted? The, the way they voted in this election. So right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, and the stimulus, looking back, the stimulus worked? It worked. Uh, you, you know my position on this. It, it wasn't nearly enough, and it wasn't sustained. Another thing that didn't get a single Republican vote in, yeah, the, in the Congress. Right, right. The, the sort of meager stimulus that we had that injected, you know, uh, real stimulus into the economy and was part of what the recovery was. That recovery could have been so much quicker if, peop- if, if Republicans in Congress had not been so intransigent in blocking additional stimulus from happening so that we could have made smart investments in infrastructure. You know, we kept interest rates down. We, we, we cut tax. I mean, Barack Obama cut taxes for people across the board. These are all stimulus things that, mm-hmm. that, that, that happened. Donald Trump's going to cut taxes. I haven't heard of a single progressive component of his tax structure. It's tax cuts for the rich and tax cuts for big corporations and tax cuts for a bunch of other people at the top yeah. end of the scale. But, but, but we did all the things we needed to do. We just needed to do more. But isn't this sort of good news, bad news? The good news is that we're all benefiting from, as you say, a robust economy now. We're back. We're going strong. Uh, maybe the bad news is that, that unlike President Obama, Donald Trump won't have to worry so much about rebuilding the economy, and he'll be able to do other stuff, which is not necessarily all good. I mean, President Obama had to focus on that. He, you know, had to. He did. And somehow, and not so only did that. there other stuff like immigration reform or other yeah. things he might have wanted to do, which he couldn't do at the time. But we figured out how to extend health care to you know, millions more people in the country. Right. And we figured right. out how to actually have a serious conversation about climate change. And we got out of a couple of wars. And, yeah. we, <laughs> and I mean, we did a few things in the, in the, in the, in the, in the last eight years. But, and we restored, I think, confidence in the global you know, community that America was a, a, a leader. And I think all that's really in danger right now. Right. You, you, you talk about when the president, President Obama, took office, we were sort of at a brink, right? We had sort of stopped the bleeding, and the next moves were crucial. We could have gone either way. And so now you look at where we are. You talk about the strength that we have. But how, I guess, stable is that strength? Could we go off in another direction if Donald Trump sort of catches a wild hair and decides to completely screw things up. So, you know, I mean, global markets and and, and people, what do they what what leads to a lack of confidence is uncertainty and unpredictability. That is <laughs> we that, got is, that. <laughs> that is that is we that is that. the that is the yeah. world that we are in. I don't I mean, first of all, none of us know, sitting here today know what the economic agenda of the new president's going to be. We just don't know. True. I mean, we know there's going to be a tax cut. We have no idea what it's going to look like. And, and and this town will make it look like something that we'll figure out two or three months after it's passed what actually happened to us. If, right. Because he's gone from saying, I'm going to I'm going to raise taxes on my friends on Wall Street. They're not going to like it. To now he's saying we're going to cut taxes 
for the wealthiest of Americans. Well, right? and those guys in Wall Street are all going to run the economy, as far as uh, uh, yeah. as I can tell. Um, so they're they're going to be in this. so we're going to get we're going to get a tax cut. Uh, it, it is not going to be just you know stimulus that happens from a tax cut. If you're going to get stimulus from a tax cut, you have to apply it across the board. We don't need to do that right now. I mean, that's 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 the key thing. There's no reason to actually have a tax cut right now. If we want to keep the stimulus rolling, let's keep taxes where they are and invest that mm-hmm. money in our economy and in building things and rebuilding the crumbling infrastructure that we have. There's there are there are spending components of stimulus that can actually happen that I don't hear anything. They, the whole talk about infrastructure is kind of just frittered away. We yeah. don't really talk about it anymore. And, right. and, and who knows what he's going to do. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Zach Carter here from the Huffington Post. Donald Trump, at his news conference last week, I almost fell off my chair, said, our next target, you know, we got the, we, we, we brought the auto executives in line. Now we're going to go after Big Pharma. I said, Wait, is that Bernie speaking? <laughs> I mean, is he serious? And, and he told the Washington Post, too, when he talked about Obamacare, that part of his plan is going to be reigning in the pharmaceutical companies and n- insisting that we have a right to negotiate for lower drug prices, which God knows Democrats have been saying for decades. They've been saying it, and then they've been sort of shrugging it off. And part yeah. of part of the legislative deal for Obamacare, I mean, if you really press people in the administration oh. about this, they say, huh. well, look, we had to cut a deal with Big Pharma or we never would have gotten it passed. I don't know if that's true. But they did cut a deal with Big Pharma, and it did pass. <laughs> Let me tell <laughs> you something. I wrote a book about it called Buyer's Remorse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that deal was done. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Daschle admits that he wasn't part of that. That's what happened. They yeah. cut a deal with Pharma. Yeah. And, and look, so... Th- Throughout the administration, you know, all eight years, not just, you know, at, at, you know, Health and Human Services, but the State Department, you know, the, the, the Patent and Trademark Office, every division of the federal government that's under the executive's control has been backing Big Pharma since that deal. So, you know, they have John Kerry going to India and trying to get them not to have as robust a generic drugs in the industry because they want to keep prescription drugs more expensive all over the world. That's been a big mistake, I think, policy-wise for Democrats. It definitely hurts people in the United States. It also hurts people in the developing world where drugs are really expensive. And it leaves them vulnerable to this kind of attack. I mean, Donald Trump is basically right about the power that Big Pharma has. And progressive Democrats, Bernie Sanders, have been saying that for years. I, I talked to Bernie after, after the press conference and he said look sometimes trump copies me i don't know if he got this from me but i've been i've been saying that farmers getting away from murder for years and he said they're literally committing murder because people die when they can't afford their their drugs you know if if trump goes after a few of these populist issues and just goes really hard he's going to have a record that he can defend saying look i actually did look out for you even if he does all of these other terrible things on the side even if the terrible things are the major thrust of his of his sort of policy campaign Democrats have left themselves vulnerable to this. They didn't have to do it. And and, and who knows what's going to happen? I mean, when 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 these when these bills come up to 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 rein in big pharma, what are they going to do? We, we saw, you know, one one 
potential preview of that this week. And I don't know if it looked good for 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 Democrats. Uh, and it's still so it's still the fact that the, the federal government, which buys more, we're, we're the biggest customer for pharmaceutical drugs in, in the world. Yeah. right? The U.S. government. Yeah. Medicare. Medicare. I mean, just, yeah. And we cannot negotiate lower drug prices. It's baked into the uh, Medicare Part D law that George W. Bush signed in uh, 2003, maybe 2004. Uh, you just yeah. can't negotiate. And look, there are all sorts of things that, that make prescription and drugs that expensive. that continued under Obamacare. was not changed. Right. Okay. They just left it there. Buying drugs from Canada. It would. It is cheaper. People are already doing it. There are several states that have legalized it. Uh, in Canada, they can negotiate with drug companies, so they have lower prices. So if but, you buy from a Canadian pharmacy, it's less expensive. But uh, is it illegal for Americans to do so, or at the federal level? Yes, at the federal level. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. So se- several states have, could not. Oh no, no. Just just you personally. It's it's a violation of federal law to buy oh. from from a Canadian pharmacy. Whoops. It's not a violation of state law in some states. There are several states that have done this. And so for a lot of individuals, it is cheaper. Now, economists dispute whether this is something that would be that would save a whole lot of money for the entire country because there's so many people in the United States. There are only so many drugs in Canada. I think the CBO did an estimate about 10 years ago. They said it would lower prices overall by, you know, 1% or something. That's like $4 billion a year. You know, $4 billion here, $4 billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. <laughs> and, yeah. and and the pharmaceutical lobby has has aggressively opposed this for a reason. You know, they they think that this is something that will ultimately hurt their bottom line. Um, but but we saw a vote on this. Bernie Sanders put a bill on an amendment in the a, the sort of budget resolution process this week calling for reimportation from Canada. Uh, and it failed. But this is one of the areas where you would think that Donald Trump could could um, make common cause with Democrats. And, and, you know, you talk about Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders, unlikely bedfellows. You might see Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders together if if he's serious about going after big pharma. Oh yeah, but but look what happened at the vote. I mean, twelve oh. Democrats ended up ended up cutting a, or thirteen Democrats. I'm sorry, ended up voting with uh, the overwhelming majority of Republicans to kill that bill. Twelve Republicans came over and voted with the Democrats. So you can't just blame that on Republicans. There were twelve Demo- thirteen Democrats. Cory Booker is one of the most prominent ones. Who just said, you know, yeah. look, even though this is largely a symbolic vote, we're going to take the symbolic vote for Big Pharma. You mean the great populist uh, presidential <laughs> candidate for 2020, Cory Booker? Our savior, Democrat savior. savior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look at, at at the states that these these guys came from where, who voted against this, it's it's Washington State, it's Philadelphia. Uh, sorry, Philadelphia is where the pharmaceutical industry yeah. is based, but it's Pennsylvania, it's Delaware, it's New Jersey. It's states where the pharmaceutical industry is heavily concentrated. And the statements that these guys give like to a person is, well, look, we're really worried about drug safety and the quality of the drugs that are coming in from Canada. And, you know, the, the left-wing radical Tim Pawlenty, who's former governor <laughs> of Minnesota. <laughs> former presidential candidate <laughs> yes. for the Republican, Current bank lobbyist, okay, Republican, diehard Republican wanted to do a drug importation from Canada bill when he was the governor of Minnesota because he wanted to save money, right, for his state, wanted to save money for his constituents. And the pharmaceutical lobby came back with the exact same same line. Look, we don't know if these drugs from Canada are safe. And he just said, but the show same, me, he said, wait. show me the dead Canadians. Where are the dead Canadians? <laughs> <laughs> Literally what he said verbatim. Yeah. They're the same drugs. Yeah. Aren't they? I mean, they're they're the very same drugs. No, they're they're made in the exact same plant that yeah, that drugs yeah. that that are sold here are. Sometimes they have the same packaging with a little bit. Of, you know, the 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 fine print is different because you have to have different disclosures in Canada than you do in the United States. It is so BS. This whole thing. Yeah, it's but, a joke. But but it, but look, I you know, 
importing from Canada is not going to fix the problems with prescription no, drugs alone. But it's, just... but it's a step in the right direction, and the pharmaceutical lobby opposes it for a reason. And when Democrats go and say, hey, I'm going to side with big pharma against Donald Trump, this is a bad look for the Democratic Party. Lots going on. Ben Newkirk from uh, The Atlantic, staff writer for The for the Atlantic, on top of all of it. And uh, kind enough on a Martin Luther King Day to come in and join us. Hello, Ben. Good to see you. Good to see you. Everything good? Yeah, it's going well. All right. So um, I want to talk to you first about John Lewis. John Lewis uh, surprised a lot of people yesterday with a very bold statement on Meet the Press with uh, Chuck Todd when he was asked, why he does not plan to attend the inauguration on Friday. Here's Congressman Lewis. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. Is that going too far? It's definitely outside of convention, but I think it's an extraordinary time. And it's not like he doesn't have some sort of evidence to back up the claim. So Evidence being... Well, he's basing it on the intelligence reports that people are, lots of people are vouching for. And I think it's an assessment of his um, that Russians did play a role in the election, um, that there was, it, it doesn't even have to involve Russians. There was actually mass voter disenfranchisement among African-American voters. And this is something I think John Lewis knows a lot about. Um, and <laughs> that alone could actually, I think, support and buoy a claim on president not being a legitimate president. Is this in any way, do you think, payback for Donald Trump's questioning the legitimacy of Barack Obama's presidency? It seems that people have suddenly forgotten about that, which is which is <laughs> hilarious. You know, this is out of bounds. And it's like, well, <laughs> the guy made his name in politics attacking the legitimacy of President Obama, which which is just, you know, it's... Even into his pre- own presidential campaign, right. Donald Trump would still not accept until maybe a year ago or so. I mean, very, very recently mm-hmm. that he he finally said, OK, he would accept him as a legitimate president. Yeah, finally. And I, I mean, you just look at that and the history of attacks on President Obama. When I think there was polls right after the election when people thought that Acorn won. Obama oh, the God. election. If we remember oh, that, like that man. was a real thing, and that was a real thing pushed by lots of Republicans. It, and all the Obama phones, remember? Obama phones. And, give you know, away Obama phones for people to vote for him. There's always been an air of questioning the legitimacy of Obama's presidency, and it's, I think, if you want to point to what climate gave us this t- attack, it's that climate directly. Right. Yeah. So we know what Donald Trump's response was, right? Not to say, um, John Lewis is wrong, I won the electoral vote but to personally attack uh, John Lewis, as he does anybody who dares criticize him in any way, uh, saying that John Lewis was all talk and, and no action. Donald Trump finally going over the line, finally out of bounds? Well, he's been out of bounds, but <laughs> I, I, this, this is, to say John Lewis is a person who is all talk, who person who is known for being beaten for putting his body on the line. Almost gave his life. Almost gave his life. On the Edmund Pettus Bridge. You read his, and not just there, you read yeah. his, his, oh, his yeah. march, the, the graphic novel, multiple times his life was in danger. I think if anybody should 
get a pass for you know for action over words. It's John Lewis, and John Lewis is a person I think you know he at least until this week did seem out of bounds to those type of attacks. But here we are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I was reminded uh, too that it wasn't. Of course, his we know his uh, his historic past in civil rights, where he rightly is considered one of the real legends, icons, heroes of the civil rights movement, still alive today. But it was just a year or so ago when he led the Democrats to a sit-in on the House floor because Republicans wouldn't uh, take a look at any uh, gun safety legislation after Charleston. Yeah, and you look at the voices who are still who are among elected Democrats who are talking about voter suppression. Lewis's name always pops up. Yep. He, he's always there talking about the things that he's always been talking about. And to say, you know, he he put took forward one of the last pieces of legislation to ever hit the congressional floor on environmental justice. <laughs> this, this, is, this, is, this is somebody who has done things, a lot of things. And I think, you know, the, President Trump would be lucky to ever have a record that matches just Lewis's congressional record. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know what I yeah. love? You know what I love is John Lewis is still out there stirring the pot. And when he does, he, he'll he talk about it. He talks about it. He calls it good trouble. That's good trouble. I'm getting into good trouble. When he talks about go, breaking the rules of the Congress yeah. to talk about gun or to, to, to stage the Senate, he calls it good trouble. Yeah. But, but the love. juxtaposition uh, of a John oh, Lewis, man. who is a real hero, in civil rights, and 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 one of the leaders, certainly the leaders of the whole movement, and then Donald Trump, who was sued by the Justice Department for refusing to rent his apartments to African Americans. Well, there's a special irony there in Trump attacking Lewis's district, you know, and doing the whole inner city thing, and you know, he he loves doing the yeah oh yeah racial coded thing whenever talking about a black leader. It's also the same events of the weekend with, you know, Steve Harvey and Ben Carson. Those are very ironic things given that Trump's racial discrimination charges against him in the past come from housing discrimination, mm-hmm. which is the major contributor to the same blight <laughs> that he likes to cite and talk about. That that's that's almost it's something we, we sort of miss in the criticism here is Trump was Accused of being one of the direct contributors to that problem. Mm-hmm. Ben, you've been spending a lot. Of, you've been spending a lot of time uh, taking a look at Republicans um, in a big rush to repeal uh, Obamacare, um, and they 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 know that they could never get sixty votes. So they're, they're finding a way they can do it through reconciliation, which would only require fifty-one. Uh, can they do it all through reconciliation? Um, so many questions. And what are they going to? Are they going to repeal and replace? And if if so, replace with what? So let's start with the reconciliation. So what you can do with reconciliation, you can, uh, and you have to do it over the course of a regular budget period. You you only have twenty hours to debate it. You can alter, zero out, or increase anything that, that has been scored by CBO as having a number attached to it. So it can't be a zero. Or nothing, you know. It has to have be spending or taxes, basically. So the things that are spending and taxes in the ACA are the Medicaid expansion, the subsidies and tax credits for people who purchase insurance individually, mm-hmm. uh, the taxes on device makers, on providers, and the mandates, um, and the Medi- Medicare taxes as well. Those are the things that can be touched. 
stuff like the pre-existing conditions cannot be touched through reconciliation, which is actually the problem. Because if you take away, say, the individual mandate, which I think they're very keen to take away, if you take away subsidies, if you take away uh, the Medicaid expansion, and you still have a pre-existing conditions requirement so that, that insurers cannot bar or bar people from having insurance based on pre-existing conditions or raise rates based on age and gender, then you have a situation where sicker people can purchase insurance at mm-hmm. the moment they get sick. And then it becomes a, basically a run on the markets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it totally destabilizes the way health insurance works in the country. Do they understand this? <laughs> They, of course they do. <laughs> and that's yeah. why we haven't yet. Uh, that's why I think there's so much reticence um, from Republicans to put forward a, a plan to, you know, the Trump and, and, and Paul are saying, you know, we want to do this in a way that we get the repeal and the replacement together because that's the only way it's going to work. You have to have something. I imagine the replacement is looking more and more like if they do go the full reconciliation, full get rid of Obamacare route, they have to get rid of the pre-existing conditions part of it via their replacement plan. And that's going to be very unpopular. So they've been a bit of a corner. Right. And and Donald Trump in a phone interview, I guess it was, with the Washington Post right over the weekend says, no, we have a plan. I'm very close to my plan now. And it's going to be insurance for everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, how if they do away with Obamacare, do away with the subsidies, which what is it? I think 80% of people who bought insurance through the marketplace have a federal subsidy, which yep. enables them to afford it, mm-hmm. right? They do away with the subsidies. How can you have insurance for everybody? How can they afford it? Well, I mean, we're in the twilight zone right now, so <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if Republicans did somehow come up with a universal coverage plan just to say it was theirs and not Democrats. But there really is no other way. There, there's no way to... I was thinking, you know, based on the previous comments last week when he said that he would come with a plan when Price was confirmed, that as as Secretary of HHS, uh, that the plan would look similar to Price's. And Price's plan in no way covers nearly all Americans. It it, it would not extend our coverage much beyond the old employer Medicare. What we had before. Yeah. That, that, that's the problematic system that needed to be fixed. Right. You would still have around 20% of Americans who are uninsured or underinsured, and that would be it. Uh, so there's no way to keep that promise, I think, and move towards the Ryan slash Price privatized uh, versions of healthcare. It's just, there's just, it's impossible. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, you don't have to look far for the outrage of the day. No farther than Donald Trump's attack on Congressman John Lewis. Yeah, how dare he say that John Lewis is all talk and no action? Well, he wasn't all talk when he got bloodied up on the Edmund Pettus Bridge down in Selma. He wasn't all talk when he led congressional Democrats into a sit-in on the House floor last year because Republicans wouldn't do anything about gun safety legislation. And how dare he say that John Lewis's district is run down and crime-ridden. He represents one of the wealthiest parts of Atlanta, including the Atlanta International Airport. 
Now, John Lewis says he's not going to attend Donald Trump's inauguration because he doesn't think he's a legitimate president. Okay, you can agree or disagree with that. But that doesn't mean you launch an ugly personal attack against a genuine civil rights hero. I mean, that's like attacking Mother Teresa or Rosa Parks. And by the way, what's Donald Trump done about civil rights? Absolutely nothing. He was even sued by the Department of Justice for refusing to rent apartments to African-Americans. And now he has the audacity to attack John Lewis. Donald Trump, when it comes to civil rights, Donald Trump doesn't deserve to shine John Lewis's shoes. I don't know about you, but this really pisses me off. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.